Why is it lives aren't being changed just when people are in the church? What are we doing? Are we just doing programs or are we actually trusting that the Spirit of God is about personal transformation? Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthart, and I'm part of the Wellspring team. I've been a pastor for almost 30 years in a variety of churches and roles, and now, as part of the Wellspring staff, I'm part of an organization that seeks to come alongside pastors, ministry, nonprofit leaders, and help us bridge the disconnect that often exists between our inner and outer life. We want to help you pay attention to your soul, the deepest part of you, but Sadly, a part that's often and easily neglected. So we want to invite you into conversations that we get to have with leaders, thinkers, pastors, authors, and others. I'm honored to host these conversations and look forward to journeying with you and especially excited today. Today we get to sit down with Patty Pierce, the founder of Wellspring. I'll just say this, Patty was a little reluctant to do an interview. She told me, I I don't know why people would want to hear my story, but trust me, you're going to be glad that Patty agreed to share her journey with us. I believe you're going to be helped, encouraged, and challenged by what Patty has to say. I can say this, it's my privilege to both learn from and work alongside Patty, and I can tell you she is the real deal. She has a huge heart of love for Jesus, for his word, for other people, and especially pastors and leaders. So here's our conversation with Patty Pierce. Well, Patty Pierce, thank you so much for sitting down today to have this conversation. I know that what you have to say is going to be really helpful and encouraging. And so as we talk today, Patty, about how you got to be doing a ministry aimed largely at pastors and ministry leaders and nonprofit leaders. We'll get to how did that you get to that, but but let's talk about you. How did you how did you uh, grow up? What was your what was a little bit of your own journey of faith and of life? Uh, well, because I'm a little further down the road than you are, Richard, that could take hours because I have a lot of growing up that's been happening and still happening. Um, I grew up in a pastor's family. Uh, That's really all I've known on and off or pretty much for my whole life. Uh, My parents met at Wheaton College and my dad went off to be uh, a pastor. And my mother, I think a very typical pastor's wife, who Mm. uh, is certainly back in the 40s and 50s, uh, her role was everything that he couldn't accomplish on his own. So She was the unpaid. She was the unpaid uh, second associate pastor. Associate, sure. right. So I, I grew up definitely knowing about Jesus, um, honoring and loving Jesus as long as I can remember. Hmm. Honestly, um, looking back to those early years, Richard, I recall so many times climbing into my bunk bed with my sister on that lower bunk and pulling the covers up over my head and just wanting to be in a quiet place with Jesus. Wow. It was my 
was sort of my secret place to be. And I don't know why that happened, but it was on and off almost all my life. So Jesus was a safe place in person for you for, for really your whole life. Yeah, the safest mm. for me. Yeah. And did you have a sense of that, you know, as a, a PK, we call it, you know, a pastor's uh-huh. kid, did you feel, was the church a safe place? Uh, no. It was not. Not so much. Because mm. I always felt like I had to behave and mm. and live up to certain expectations, either of my parents or those in the congregation. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it felt unsafe, mm. but I think that's why I liked my little tent that I'd create for myself. Sure, that was the safe place. That was safe. But what uh, was, did you, as a pastor's kid, did you have... Um, do you think what your dad did was a good thing, or uh, were, were you proud of, of being a pastor's kid? That's a great kid? question, Richard. I loved being a preacher's kid. Huh. My, I was the oldest of three. My brother and my sister had totally opposite responses to being preacher's kids. Mm. But I think there were some things I enjoyed. There were perks. Um, our family was highly regarded, therefore I was highly regarded. Mm. And, no, I, I enjoyed that role up until a particular time in my life. And that was at the end of my sophomore year in high school when my father had an affair. He'd had several, um, but this one became quite public Mm. and we had to get out of Dodge in a hurry, move to another town. And that happened right about 16 years old when I was very involved in a high school in our little town. And we had to leave under a very dark cloud. So then I didn't love being a preacher's kid. Yeah. Had you had your dad at that to that point, um, uh, would you say, on a pedestal spiritually? Or uh, was he, is that where he lived or not really? So yes, there were some uh, wonderful things about not just being a preacher's kid, but this particular preacher's kid. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And my father had an ongoing sexual addiction. Mm. And um, he had two or three affairs that caused him to have to leave a pastorate, move to another job for a while, and then eventually back into pastoring again. Part of that did include a sexual abuse relationship with me. Mm. And so that's why I say it was mixed yeah. and actually quite confusing. No. That this person that I respected so much and loved so much could also be hurtful to me. And, of course, therefore, there were secrets. Yeah. A lot of secrets. What a confusing and jarring, I can't even imagine. Yeah. A difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. And did anybody, you know, obviously when something got known and then he would have to leave and I assume there's some disgrace and... For sure. Did any, was anyone coming alongside outside, you know, to support or encourage or speak into his life or your family's life in that time? Not at all, Mm. (laughs) which does bridge to why we do what we're doing now, Richard. But I I have often wondered, had there been anyone Mm. uh, who, who would have actually come alongside my dad Mm. that he could have trusted to talk about uh, the pull, this, this sexual pull Mm -hmm. in him. Mm. who would have uh, not disgraced him, mm. who would have tried to mine in him what what caused that? Where was the pain in his life that 
that needed this kind of an expression? What, what did he need in support? Uh, he was so able to express God's grace to everybody. He was known for that. Mm. But I don't think lived in it very fully himself. you speak so with such compassion for your father and yet also you experienced such pain obviously as you've expressed from him i'm sure that that has been a long journey for you as well to because many people they you know when we've been wounded by someone we can stay there in that space and and I, without getting into all of that that i assume has been a, a, a quite a journey when did you feel like you began to really uh, I don't know, address the the wounds and pains you'd experienced yeah. from your own upbringing. No, not, not just your what your father did to you personally, but also his affairs and just the, the contradiction you saw. Our daughters, we have two daughters, were hitting the age uh, where I experienced uh, the most particular sexual abuse. Mm. And that really threw me into counseling. Mm. And so... Another big piece was having to work through uh, forgiveness, mm -hmm. but maybe even before forgiveness, actually acknowledging my anger mm -hmm. and my pain mm -hmm. and the ways that that affected me, mm -hmm. affected the way I parent, the way I am in my marriage, the way I am in friendships. Mm -hmm. So there were several years there of having to uh, look honestly at my life and let God move more deeply into those places in my soul. You're going to hear us talk about this on this podcast probably over and over, but the ways we talk about that are, well, in soul care, we talk about it as a long, loving look mm -hmm. at the real, at what is real. Uh, sometimes we'll talk about it as doing your work. And our, because we, you know, all of us have experiences in life of pain. Some we often will minimize and say, oh, well, compared to so-and-so or that situation, it wasn't so bad. Or just we don't want to look at it or we don't feel disloyal, perhaps, to a family member yes. or a church, right? And so, and yet, if people that don't do their work, what, one way of saying it, pain that is not, uh, that is not processed is passed on. Or that which we don't deal with, we end up inflicting unintentionally often on others. And so you did this, begin to do this work and dig into these things. And and um, that's so important. And then what comes out of that after, in the season as you're processing yeah. and dealing with all that? Then what does God do? Well, besides that deep, deep work, hmm. um, at the end of 12 years of teaching Bible Study Fellowship, hmm. uh, I was invited to join the staff at what was then Menlo Park Presbyterian Church mm -hmm. in the singles ministry. Um, in the seven years I was on staff at this church, a, a large church, mm -hmm. seven of my peers, not one a year, but seven over those seven years, ended up having some sort of a sexual fall. Wow. Much like my father's. Wow. And... So that was very saddening to me. Yeah. So some of the questions that I had, even as a child, like what, 
what could make this different? These, these were my friends as well. Mm. I could see their love for Jesus, their deep, deep passion for the ministry they're in. And yet these dark sides, these shadow sides mm. that, that nobody seemed to be addressing or helping them with until it was far too late. Hmm. What's interesting to me, Patty, is that you don't end up writing off the church, that you could have just said, well, you know, pastors are frauds or the church is, a, is so broken that I don't want anything to do with it. Instead, you, you actually seem to, in a sense, move the other way. You move towards leaders and you yeah. move towards the church, but in a different way, it seems like. Yeah. I think I'd want to say here, Richard, that in it all, I it, it is there's also a duality in me as well. I have deep, deep compassion mm -hmm. and concern for the parishioners, the congregants that are hurt mm -hmm. by pastors who use them. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't want to pass over mm -hmm. that. I, mm -hmm. I've spent a lot of time with those people, uh, often women, mm -hmm. most often women. Mm -hmm. um, it is no small thing that they have been hurt so deeply yeah. and and disillusioned. And I do not blame them. Yeah. So you're not letting, even though I you have compassion. I don't let these guys off the hook. No. No. No, and rightly so. And this is never, this is never dualistic thinking, is it? It's mm. never black and white. Mm. These are also, these pastors are also people who sometimes are put on pedestals they don't want to be on mm -hmm. are sometimes given more power and credibility than they should ever be given. Mm -hmm. And if they have their own issues and nobody's helping them work that through or giving them a place to be safe and share their story without being fired or looked down upon or something else, where, where do we give people the ability and the resources to deepen their own life with God? Mm -hmm. They're not in these positions in order to prey on other people. They come out of a love for Jesus. And then their, their stuff gets in the way, their brokenness, their hurt. And it gets turned on its ear and everybody is hurt. So you're seeing all this, you're experiencing the fallout both within the church and in your own friendships, and I'm sure it's bringing up all kinds of stuff and in, in you, and you're doing your, your own journey and your own work. Um, what then, you know, how do we move from there? How did you move from there to, to starting something for leaders or with yeah. that wasn't a direct line yet? Yeah, not quite a direct line. When I left uh, staff at Menlo, it was partially just total fatigue mm -hmm. from all that had happened and mm -hmm. and being with the the women in particular that had been hurt mm -hmm. and in my opinion that that the church did not handle it with integrity and vulnerability and honesty mm -hmm. and i needed to get away yeah. for a while yeah and so we started a ministry called women at the well but it was it was a there was a secondary thing going on richard and that is a, beginning to question why is it lives aren't being changed mm -hmm. just when people are in the church? What are we doing? Are we just doing programs or are we actually trusting that the spirit of God is about personal transformation? 
Yeah. So you would you had seen and begun to experience that that disconnect too. Yes. Of we're doing all this, we're teaching the Bible, we're running all these ministries, we're doing all this stuff. Why are we not seeing change lives in the way that yes. at least we thought we we thought we would? That's, that's why we got into this, right? Exactly right. Mm. And so what what comes out of that? What what do you begin to to discover that is you know, what leads to actual change. Yeah. Again, I feel like I fell into it accidentally. That during my years, uh, both teaching Bible study fellowship and on staff at Menlo, I would find, Richard, that two, three, four times a year, I'd have to look at my husband and say, I need to go away for 24 or 48 hours. I just need to go be with God. Hmm. And nobody had taught me then about spiritual formation or hmm. silence and solitude. In fact, they felt sort of Catholic mm-hmm. and coming from an evangelical background. Was that okay? Yeah, we're, we're full of words and, sure and teaching and knowledge and information. Yes. And so that, that might even be dangerous, perhaps, to sit in quiet too long. I think in the early 90s or late 80s, it was considered that, mm. yes. Mm. And so I began to do that on my own, mm. read books. I'd write in a notebook letters to God, and nobody ever told me I was journaling. Wow. Um, and he'd write letters back to me, and nobody ever told me there was anything called colloquy or dialogue with God. I wow. just sat in a hotel room and did that. So God is sort of just mentoring you himself. He was. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? It really is. Yeah. It's beautiful. So a group of women joined me from several denominations, and we started a ministry called Women at the Well. Hmm. And it was very contemplative. We did many retreats a year, spiritual mentoring. We were learning spiritual formation. Hmm. And after a while, men began to say to us, come on, this is not a gender-specific issue. And why don't you do something for men and women? So we changed our name to Wellspring. Okay. And had men teachers join us, men board members, and so so you is and it's how did the word get out, if you will? Like so, is it like these women are doing this and experiencing this, and like their husbands are going, "Hey, I want this." That's exactly it. <laughs> don't get me started on how the women had to lead. That's great. <laughs> but it was very. It's exactly right. They were experiencing some some ways of deepening intimacy with God Mm -hmm. that were missing in their Bible studies and in church. Now, in addition to some of your own, you know, just God teaching you um, through just these, in some ways, trial and error, just practices on your own, were there other thinkers, leaders, or teachers that were, were kind of beginning to inform you? Yeah. During that time, I got trained as a spiritual director. Hmm. So I think being introduced to uh, desert mothers and fathers, Mm -hmm. uh, to Ignatian Hmm. spirituality, Hmm. Renovari, uh, the Renovari movement Mm -hmm. had an impact upon me. Okay. Um, And a lot of it was just uh, the books I was reading. David Benner, Eugene Peterson became friends uh, to our ministry. Uh, David Benner joined our board for a while. He was very in- instrumental, wow. if you know any of his writing. Yeah, um, love his writing. Spending time uh, through a friend, uh, three summers in a row, sitting in Eugene Peterson's living room. Wow. Uh, being taught the Beatitudes by him. 
Wow. Where he takes you to your heart, your soul, wow. as well as your good mind. Hmm. Well, so you're you're doing this ministry now called Wellspring, where you're offering these retreats, and and uh, men and women are now getting involved. So again, there was another move towards ministry <laughs> of, towards leaders. How did that happen? Pastors, at more senior levels, because the more senior you are, the more you give to those on your staff, and the less you're given to, actually. Hmm. So the higher up in the org chart, uh, often the least, the less opportunity you have for somebody to speak into your life. Hmm. Hmm. And so could we be that? Hmm. And we filled this our team with two retired pastors and another woman on the team. And before long, very first year we offered it, we had twice as many people, pastors, than we could take. And we started our first cohort with 22 people and had to turn away another 22. Wow. And what? so as you present this to pastors, what did you present? What was the invitation? The invitation, we were calling it Soul Care, hmm. which is no longer a very unique name, but it's what we were doing. It was, would you like to join us for nine months and what we want to do is create a space where we want you can lean into ongoing safe conversations with God. Hmm. We want to love on you. We want to be an expression of God's extravagant love for you. Hmm. We want to create, we'll put you with a spiritual director. We'll put you in a small group that is confidential. We're going to put you in a cohort where nobody else who's on your staff will be present. This is just for you. Hmm. We don't network. We don't talk church growth. We don't talk resources. It is a space for each pastor to deepen their life with God. So it's not about me being more productive. It's not about me learning a bunch of new stuff and techniques and programs. Oh my goodness. I mean, this is so different than, well, anything that was really out there, isn't it? It is. Wow. And and you had suddenly, it speaks to the hunger for it because you, it? instantly you have twice as many as you could handle and you hadn't even started. And they didn't even fully know who we were. Wow. It was, you know, now the reputation has grown a bit, but gosh, in those first two or three years... People didn't know for sure who we were, and they trusted us, Richard. And what what was what was happening now as you're starting to do this? And I'm sure you're probably just amazed that this is even you're even doing this, yeah. right? Yeah. But what's happening is, is pastors are starting to open up and yes. be real and be introduced perhaps to practices and, and ways of being formed in Jesus that perhaps for some were new, I'm assuming. I think so. Hmm. Some not. We started out asking for a significant commitment from them. So it is not financial. We, it doesn't cost them anything hmm. financially. But it does cost them in commitment Hmm. that they sign, in a sense, a covenant with us that they will come to every retreat, nine of them, over nine months. That they will also come for spiritual direction 
nine times mm-hmm. during nine months mm-hmm. and that they will set aside time to pray through the things that we talk about actually deepen their walk with god care for their souls be mm-hmm. intentional about it mm-hmm. and if they can't make that commitment then we encourage them to wait a while to be part of soul care so it is it's it's not just be passive and show up it's in engage yourself fully yes wow and and were you, what would, maybe you remember at this point, what were your expectations that, what would come out of it? Like the end of these nine months, what did, what, what did you hope would, would be the case? Well, Richard, even that I think has grown and morphed a bit. Mm. Uh, our hope would be that because of their honesty and openness in their relationship with God, that their years of ministry, there would be sustainability. Mm -hmm. They would be able to go the course, Mm -hmm. long obedience in the same direction, Mm -hmm. not give up, not burn out, not flame out with some sexual or financial or some other kind of a crisis. And then over time, what we've prayed and we've seen happen is that some of the transformational, spiritual formational things they have discovered in their own walk with God are getting transferred, taught in their congregations or the organizations that they lead. That they would lead differently. They would lead differently. Not based on a technique or a here's a new methodology, but really out of a different inner space, inner uh, soul space. Yes. Hmm. And maybe, Richard, the kind of soul space that says... I am less concerned about my image and my performance or maybe even the number of people in my church or my organization. I am more concerned about the depth to which I'm taking people in their walk with God. Mm. Um, the, the authenticity with which people are walking with God. Mm. Well, I can speak as one who... Um, was on the receiving end of soul care several years ago. And I was invited in, and at that time in my uh, role as lead pastor, I uh, I deeply needed uh, that kind of um, space that was made for me. And, and I was so uh, willingly and gladly participated in soul care, and I can honestly say how transformative it was. And, of course, I it could be said that I'm biased because I'm now... Uh, on the team, but I I didn't just experience it for myself. I saw it and continue to see it in the lives of leaders. And you've sat with personally uh, and and had soul level conversations with literally hundreds and hundreds of pastors and ministry leaders for many years. And what are you seeing and hearing in the souls and hearts of pastors and leaders? What's what's what themes do you hear again and again? I, I think what I hear, maybe more than anything, whether it's the, from a pastor leader of a large organization or a church planter or someone that has been pastoring a smaller congregation for a long time and feeling sometimes in the shadows of the, the megachurch, mm-hmm. underneath it all, I think there's a great tender desire mm. to not just... Um, lead and be God's person in this world, but to be loved as a person Mm. that God loves in this world. I think the longing 
for a deep sense of our identity coming out of God's love for us, knowing of us just as we are, the good, the bad, the ugly, it's still maybe the most significant longing hmm. or to the most loved. constant thing that I hear and see in leaders. And perhaps, do you think that that we assume that, well, leaders or pastors, well, they know God loves them. They yeah. teach this all the time. They're telling yeah. people all the time yeah. that God loves them. What do you think makes it difficult for them to experience God's love or being loved by God? Well, maybe what makes it hard for all of us to believe that is, is that um, it is an amazing, mind-boggling thing mm. that Almighty God has that kind of tender, deep fondness. I think many would say, oh, I don't doubt God loves me, whether he likes me or not, or whether he's very pleased with me or not, mm -hmm. or whether the things I'm doing um, look good to God or not. Mm. Those become more difficult. Yeah. But I, I don't think there's any difference. And I think it is more difficult for the pastor because of what you say, that other people expect that that's how one, a pastor or a leader feels. And so where do you go to say, I question that? Mm. Where do you go to say, I might be doubting mm -hmm. some of these things? Yeah. And so it's, there's a, there's a real uh, temptation, I think, to lead out of the head knowledge and leave the longing for the experiential awareness of God's love behind because people are expecting something else. Mm -hmm. I, I, my observation is that in, in more recent years, it's become a little more okay, I guess, for pastors to be perhaps a bit more vulnerable or transparent with their church and of course that probably varies a lot from church to church and place to place but um, do you feel like pastors in general feel like they can be vulnerable with their real selves in front of people that they're trying to pastor and lead my my observation is to a point hmm. but probably not completely mm -hmm. and sadly there are pastors that use sort of a quasi vulnerability to make themselves look better. That mm -hmm. I can tell you I'm vulnerable to this point and I look like I am and you you feel compassion for me, but I don't tell you how quite how far it's gone or where I am. Yeah. So I it, it can even be manipulative. Yeah, I think our friend Chuck DeGroat talks about he it does. even as what faux vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's scary. So I think that's one. I think secondly, the pressures upon pastors have changed and grown. So what you learn in seminary, for example, or what you've learned in your teaching is not necessarily what's required now in a church. Hmm. In particular, business acumen or management style or um, leadership. Hmm. All of those things are being offered in all kinds of seminars these mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. But not necessarily the component that goes with it, which is a deep confidence in God's love, pleasure, uh, indwelling spirit, hmm. 
that he has me in a place where he wants, he, God, has me in a place where God wants me to be. Mm. I don't know who's speaking very much into a pastor and saying, it's not about size of church. It's not about uh, whether you're well known, how many books you've read, written, or um, how many people look up to you. Yeah. I'm all for the pastors who are leading mega churches well, and that's not down on that. Right. But wow, if that becomes the the plumb line by which all pastors are judged, we are really in deep trouble. Yeah, in fact, we can, and I've experienced this as a lead pastor where we could say it's not about, we sometimes call it the ABCs, attendance, buildings, and cash. Mm -hmm. We can say, well, it's not about that. It's really about, you know, who you are and, and doing your best with what God has given you, stewarding that well. But at the same time, I, you know, used to point out, well, but we don't usually ask pastors of small churches to speak at conferences. Uh, and if you haven't written a book or have your name out there on a platform somehow, you know, we don't seem to value it as much. And so it's, we send these confusing messages, I think, to pastors I or leaders. So. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. Our congregations actually feed it mm. sometimes. Mm. Um, so, again, there's, of course we want the kingdom of God to grow. Mm -hmm. Of course we do. Yeah. But, but for, I think that's what we try to do with soul care is to create a place where each person can have a conversation with God. What is motivating me? Mm -hmm. What, where do I feel less than? Yeah. Spirit of God, speak into me so that I don't get into a rat race, performance race, mm -hmm. but rather I really am hearing your voice for me and trusting that. Yeah, Patty, I sense right now, I imagine wherever that whoever's listening to this when this airs, there's going to be some pastors, some leaders, or just maybe they're not even in a pastoral role, but they're just, they're looking at their own lives and wondering, do, does it matter? Does what I'm doing matter? Do I really matter? Because, you know, I'm not making anybody's headlines or top 10 lists or whatever it is. You know, what, what do you feel like, what do they need to hear? What... What do you think God's spirit would want to say to them? I think they want to hear, and what God wants to say is what you just said, Richard. You do matter. Hmm. I am pleased with you. Hmm. You are my beloved. And I don't know that most of us can hear that with the cacophony of noise around us. And so I think what I'd say is find a place or a person a spiritual director, a mentor, a friend, but get somewhere where you can actually be with God and hear that still small voice in the midst of all the other voices that are coming at you and trust it. Yeah. What would you say to the pastor or leader or person, just whoever? And, you know, we've talked about folks that, that there were shadow sides, if you will, or hidden parts in their lives where... You know, they, they, despite their best intentions, perhaps what they, where they, they're finding themselves either tempted by or giving into temptation in areas that they never imagined that would be them. You know, nobody ever sets out in marriage or ministry or life to say, well, I'm, I think I'm going to cheat on my spouse or I yeah. think I'm going to live a double life for a while. 
Nobody ever sets out to do that, I don't think. And yet people find themselves yeah. in that space or are tempted towards that space. Yeah. What do you what would you say to those folks? Wow. Well, you called it earlier doing our work. I think it is saying, let's God it is not a shadow from God. Hmm. Maybe a shadow side from us. Hmm. But we all know that God knows. And Maybe it has to do with our view of God. Can God hold these sometimes warring parts of me? Hmm. It would be to be honest enough to find someone with whom you could talk. Mm -hmm. It would probably mean working with someone who can help you look at what's underneath all this. What, what causes that? Um, mm -hmm. Calvin himself John Calvin talks about knowing of self and knowing of God mm -hmm. Augustine mm -hmm. says in his prayer help me to know myself that I may know thee mm -hmm. that marriage of being honest about what's really true about us and what's really true about God that he sees that he loves that he's not afraid of our double-sidedness, not afraid of that shadow or that whatever we want to call it, false self or mm -hmm. sinful self. Mm -hmm. He's not afraid of that. Mm -hmm. And therefore, bring it all. But get some help in doing it. Don't be alone mm -hmm. in that. Someone that you can trust before you flame out. we look at the, the state of the church, the state of our country, the state of a lot of things these days, and there can be a lot of uh, discouragement. There could be a lot of fear. There can be a lot of just uncertainty. Uh, but as you talk to pastors and leaders in these days, uh, let, let's kind of put on a different lens. What is there that gives you hope? What is it that you're encouraged about in in Jesus's church and in, in the lives of, of leaders? What what do you see that that is hopeful to you? Thank you, Richard. Well, I've given some thought to this because there's a lot that I am concerned about, I, I, and I think we're all concerned about. Um, the church is likely changing coming out of this pandemic, mm -hmm. maybe out of some of the cultural wars, the um, political wars, whatever else. I think we might be. Uh, being led into a different season for the church. Hmm. I think our millennials are maybe asking for different things from our churches and our pastors and the leaders. Being far away from being a millennial, but listening to their voices and some of the pastors who are millennials themselves. I, th It seems to me that that this next generation wants leaders who are accountable for what they say and do mm -hmm. they want justice yeah rightly so mm. they want us to be able to name a systemic racism mm. they want us to be able to lament and give voice to white privilege or but also to the many ways that we have sometimes created a larger than life pastors and leaders. Mm. So I think 
honesty, mm. vulnerability, humility, willingness to know self mm. as they know God, mm. willingness to act, acknowledge mistakes that have been made and start again has to happen. And where I find hope, Richard, is when I get to have conversations, one-on-one -on -one in particular, with, with these younger pastors and leaders, older ones as well, but the ones coming up through the ranks, I actually do find hope. Hmm. I see tears in my office of, God, don't let me go off the rails and hurt my family or my church. God, keep me protected and keep me honest and keep me on the right path. I've watched pastors weep, mm. not over something they've done, but out of the fear that they could. Mm. Mm. Yes, I see arrogance and overconfidence, mm. but alongside it often a deep desire to be formed and taught and led and encouraged. Any other dreams that you have or hopes for the future for the church? Oh, Richard, I think two. One, certainly for unity mm -hmm. that is beyond just our words. Mm -hmm. um, inclusiveness in, in the sense of unity that all are welcome in the kingdom of God, mm -hmm. in the way Jesus pre preached it. Um, but I also have deep longing that it not just be institutional, programmatic, um, religious Christian culture that we embrace, but we can embrace and long for deep personal change and transformation that we honestly, each of us do want to be more like Jesus year after year after year, rather than having the church be more like me. Well, Patty Pierce, what a gift it has been to sit down and talk with you. But more than that, and if you don't know this, uh, I get to work with Patty, and I am just privileged and honored to get to do that. And um, and I can say this to all of you, if you don't have the privilege of knowing Patty or having been uh, she, you've given spiritual direction now to probably more people than you can even count or remember, but also just walked with countless uh, pastors and leaders and and the church in the Bay Area for, you know, for all that it is and the challenges it faces, it wouldn't be nearly as strong as it is and is becoming without Wellspring, without you and Terry and other leaders in our team and the work that you've done and continue to do. And so it is truly uh, a gift to serve with you and, and to learn from you, honestly, to learn from your life as uh, has been said over and over again, far more is caught than taught and that's i think the ethos of wellspring and of soul care it's it's about the lives where that people are in, invited to see and live and live alongside so again so uh, grateful to be part of of this team and to learn from you and um thanks for sitting down with us here today thank you for asking the questions i wasn't sure i wanted to answer <laughs> well you did a great job <laughs> thanks patty thank you Thank you for joining us for today's conversation. If you found it helpful, feel free to share this podcast with others and subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you found us, and give us a rating. We'd really appreciate that as well. 
Again, if we can serve you as part of Wellspring, we are here to serve the church, both its leaders and people in whatever ways we can. So go to wellspringca.org to see what resources we have to offer and how you can be served by them. Go to our Facebook page, just search Wellspring on Facebook and you'll see lots of resources there as well. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, grace and peace.